Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people and how they do it, how they keep it going. That's what I love to talk about. And this week, my guest is actor Nathan Lee Graham. He's on the Fox sitcom L.A. to Vegas, playing a very funny flight attendant named Bernard. Uh, the show is a mid-season replacement on Fox, and it just got more episodes ordered, so he's in the middle of shooting those here in Los Angeles. Uh, I know him through my friend Matt Zarley, uh, past podcast guest, and he connected us, and we did a fun interview, and it was so cool to meet Nathan and uh, hear all about the show and other stuff that he's got going on. But before we get to the interview, I want to mention that I'm going to be in New York City um, in a week or so doing interviews for my LifeCast business. Um, I've got five booked, but I've probably got room for a couple more. If there's anybody in New York that would like to get a LifeCast interview for a relative or a loved one, or maybe that's for their work, or uh, there's all kinds of reasons you could do something like that, you can learn more at getalifecast.com, and I'm excited to, to be in the city and see some folks I haven't seen in a while, and all the rest of it. Um, I think that's enough plugging. I think so. All right, so without any further ado, here is Nathan Lee Graham. Hey there, I'm coming to you from beautiful Villy Village. Valley Village. Valley Village, California. Say I that was, five times. I know, I kind of choked on that. Uh, <laughs> I'm at my friend Matt Zarley's home, and uh, I'm here to interview one of Matt's friends who's in town for work, Nathan Lee Graham. Hello. Hi, welcome to the podcast. You are on the Fox Comedy L.A. to Vegas. I am. And it's doing well, right? They've added I, more episodes. They've added more episodes. That's why I'm back. Yeah. Um, to complete the uh, mid-season replacement season. Right. Our first season. It's been very exciting. How many episodes altogether did you guys get to do? Fifteen. Fifteen. And I think that's the maximum you can do as a mid-season replacement. That means they like you. That means they love us. Are you... When you're on a show like that, are you... Are you nervous about what are the ratings? How are we doing? Are we going to keep going? Like, are, you can't really get caught up in that. But you, know you what? must be thinking about it. I, listen, on the periphery, sure. Right. Um, but I'm mostly concerned about learning my lines and doing a good job. Yeah. So I let the powers that be, the network and all the people who crunch the numbers and all of that, do that sort of thing. I let them worry about that. You yeah. know, I, I actually don't know enough. Yeah. Which is kind of good to be in that naive place. Yeah. You know, so I just do my job, hope everybody likes it. Right. And, you know... Pray for the best. Uh, your character's Bernard. Yes, Bernard. You feel like he's been... Bernard doing... Jasser is yes. his last name. You feel like he's been doing this a while? Yes. yes. He's a veteran flight attendant, for yeah. sure. What I wonder is, have you flown much since the show started airing, and do real flight attendants uh, recognize you? Yes. Give you story ideas? Yes. They love the show. That's awesome. They love it. They love that their lives are being finally celebrated. They say to us... Oh, my God, that actually happens on a plane. Some of them have actually flown our route, yeah. L.A. to Vegas and back. Um, they love it. On Instagram, they love it. I'm so pleased that they really like it because it's the people who really do the job. And if they watch it and they enjoy it and they get some sort of uh, kick out of it, that makes it all worth it. Yeah. Um, and you have regular passengers that are always on that route. So part of the regular cast isn't just the crew, it's passengers as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Strippers, businessmen, businessmen with their strippers, right. you know, um, <laughs> the plumbers convention, who knows? But right. it's just uh, the same people going back and forth, and it's fantastic. I want to learn more about Bernard. I want him to have Torrid Affairs. He's going to have all of that. Yeah. Yes. I want him to be in the Mile High Club, all of that stuff. <laughs> Bernard is going to roll out. Yes. Um, each episode, he gets more and more, you know, fancy. Yeah. I'll say. And 
he's just a, a really lovable character that I've enjoyed uh, exploring and playing. Of course, there's a part of Nathan Lee Graham in everything I do. Yeah. But just to assure people, I'm not this over the top when I'm at home alone. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's so fun. I live right by the Burbank Airport, and the way your show looks, it looks like what it looks like when I go to the airport. Um, that's and the totally. plane looks like how it looks. That's a lot totally of times right. when they have planes on shows, they don't look right, and this yeah. looks right. Yeah, it looks right. They took their time. They spent yeah. the money. You know, it's like a real fuselage, but the sides of the plane open up like a Tesla, okay, or a DeLorean for those yes. of a certain age, right. Um, and it's pretty exciting. It's hard to shoot in the galleys because they're actual. They're so it's, small. They're so small. But it's fun. It's challenging. The lighting crew, the DP, the grips, they're amazing. This yeah. crew is just wonderful. And it's so fun to do. And they make everything look so realistic and so, uh, so you know, like small airport here in Los Angeles goes to a, a small airport in in in, uh, in Las Vegas, right? It's fantastic. Do you shoot much in Las Vegas? No, like there's no location. There's stuff. no location yeah. stuff. We did one premiere party where we flew from uh, LAX to Las Vegas, right? And we showed the pilot and the third episode to like the press and some you know celebrities and stuff like that. That was the party. That was the party. What was that like? It was so fun. Were you just all dressed up? And we were all dressed up in, in, the, in the air and flying. It was just very sort of glamorous and really fun. How do you feel about flying in general? Is that something you've ever been afraid of or? No, I mean, lately I've been sort of not cool with turbulence. Yeah. Or what they call, um, oh, they call it something else now. They don't call it turbulence anymore. They call it Rough air. Rough air. Rough air. Yeah, that sounds. That doesn't sound as scary as turbulence. Right, right. Yeah. right. It sounds like some rugged cologne. Yeah. You know. I like it. Um, but, uh, so I, I'm not so down with the rough air, but I think that's because I'm getting older and I'm like, okay, I need this to stop shaking. Yeah. I need this tin can to stop shaking. But overall, you know, I love flying. There's some big names behind the scenes on this. Will Ferrell, yes, and his company is he around much? It's like his uh, Will was there, was there in the beginning, but you know yeah. he's a busy guy. He, he and sure Adam McKay, and you've uh, worked with him before. I have, yeah, and, and Zoolander, Zoolander one and two. Right. He is charming, um, very kind, very generous when he's working too. You know, yeah. just as an actor, and. Uh, Obviously hilarious. Yeah. So this has been such a pleasure to do. And I had no idea he was one of the executive producers when I initially was uh, approached about doing this show. So I love that. So how did you come to be cast on it? Was, an, was it a normal audition? Or it was a come, normal yeah. audition. I was doing a play, a musical actually, in New York called The View Upstairs. Right. At the Lynn Redgrave. And, um, oh, I hear it's really good. I wanted yeah. to see that. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I got, a, I got a nominated for a couple of awards. That's fantastic. You know. But um, it was a magical piece. It is a magical piece. It's being done all over the world it's, now. It was off-Broadway, right? Off-Broadway. Yeah. And in the midst of doing that, The View Upstairs... I was called in by Clint Alexander to uh, a head of casting for uh, Fox in uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And it was just a simple audition. It's so funny because I was in the middle of a run, and so I was sort of exhausted. Right. I'm like, okay, listen, I'm not going to get this, so it's a great role. I love it. Um, I think that's good enough. And Clint was so amazing. In, like, he was like, Nathan, listen, you're really, really good at this. 
just take your time. Let's do it again. I want to get a really cl- good, clean pass. Right. And I was like, okay, but I, I got a show to do. Right. I got I a gotta, show I gotta, I gotta to make, do. Right. I got to make curtain. All right. Right. So I wasn't, you know. But in a way, it's that that feeling is perfect for Bernard because he's it been is. doing it forever. He could do it in his sleep. I mean, you know, it kind of feels like it. It's yeah. a nice mesh. It, it was a nice mesh, and uh, they were wonderful to me um, in the audition process, and it went very quickly. What was the scene that they had you doing? Or was there uh, we one? basically did the pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we basically did the pilot. We basically did uh, those wonderful lines about me. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been flying with you know royalty, Hollywood royalty. Yeah. Elizabeth Taylor. She yeah. threw an earring at a baby. Yeah, you know, and it was so easy. <laughs> I love that image of her throwing an earring at a baby. <laughs> and you know, it's probably heavy too. Yeah. The earring. Yeah. So um, it was so easy for me to say because. I do know who all these people are. Yeah. You know, um, I do have a fascination and, and an appreciation and a love for old Hollywood. Yeah. So um, it was super easy for me to communicate and to sort of uh, connect with. And your costume's pretty much the same every time you go to work. Yeah, so it's like doing theater. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. It's like we have two basic costumes, and uh, so it's, it's as if I'm doing eight shows a week Yeah. Is on the, the boards. Is the sweater vest hot? No, it's lamb's wool. There you go. Lamb's That's a wool. Secret. Yes, it's Fox not. ain't fucking around. But you know what? We got some secrets going on with okay. it. Okay. So here's the here's the thing. It's a small, by the way. Yeah. Everyone. Damn right. Um, but we had a big tie underneath it. Right. So whatever you put under lamb's wool, because it's so thin, yeah. right? Or merino wool. Um, it's merino, I think. Uh, it shows through. Yeah. So I was like, we got to cut this tie short. It's so not we look right. Tricks. Yeah. So we cut the tie short so it wouldn't, you know, yeah. add to the groove. That's right. And the buttons are the only things that sort of poke out, but you yeah. got to have buttons on your shirt. Yeah. But it's it's all sort of put together. Yeah. Well, of course, because Bernard is put together. Yes. Um, I love seeing Dylan McDermott in this role. Isn't he hilarious? The, the mustache and the kind of yeah, the seventy sort, of, sort of Burt Reynolds yes. sort of thing, and just sort of like. You know, um, I don't want to say sleazy, but sort of like, you know, slick. Like he didn't 70s. get the memo about right. what, what's uh, acceptable now. Like, like, like we crossed over. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's still, still wearing, you know, yeah. by Menon. Like right. Brute yeah, yeah. and, you know. Ducar Noir. Yeah, Ducar Noir. Which was good. I liked it. I liked it too. Aqua Velva, Fahrenheit. Sure. Paco Raban. We you can go through it. the whole list. <laughs> 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 and it has the guy. Is it his name? Ed Ed Weeks. Yes, of course, the, the wonderful Ed Weeks from uh, from mini the Mini Project. Project. Yeah, yes. he's in there all the time. He's wonderful. Yeah, he I plays love Colin. that. Where do you shoot at? Where is this airplane? The set? airplane is at the Fox Studio lot, baby. Yes, it's a whole big old fuselage. It's fantastic. They've done a great job. The set people are incredible on our show. When you drive onto the lot, does it feel like Hollywood dreams? It does. Yeah, it does because. You know, this is a lot where, you know, uh, Marilyn Monroe worked a lot, you know, so I love all of that sort of thing. And, um, you know, of course, The Simpsons are there and and some great, great Fox shows right now, you know, and uh, it's just 20th Century Fox. You just, Zanuck and the whole thing. Yeah, the Roaring Lion, right? come on. Yeah. Is that MGM? No, Roaring Lion is MGM, but but Fox is like the floodlights. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, amazing. Now, did you have to do any research into flight attendants? Like, you guys do the, the um, right. safety gestures right. and stuff. Well, technically, flight attendants are not waiters. Yeah. They're uh, safety people. They're right. there for your safety, actually. 
Um, so that's their real job. Uh, and we have a flight attendant on set who um, is usually either uh, in a sort of layover situation or they're retired and they act as consultants. So it's not always the same person. Not always the same person. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're so lovely because yeah. they'll come in and they'll say, listen, um, we do that on a plane or we don't do that on a plane. Or, okay, we sort of do that and you can stretch. Yeah. There are way too many people in that cockpit. So, yeah. but, but the, it's a comedy and we, we you know. Right. We like well, I, I, what I love about it is they're over it. So many people can relate to that. I used to work on cruise ships and that <laughs> thing where you would make fun of the passengers or what. The, any, we used to do um, captain's cocktail parties and all of these yes. passengers would come through and you'd have to introduce them. And me and one of the girls would 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 speculate on how hung people were, or if, <laughs> how shaved the women like Mojave, bush or no bush. Like those dumb things that you do to keep it interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do this. You do this when people are getting... Flight attendants are just like actors. Right. Because we have to size up the room. Yeah. We have to know our audience. We have to feel them out. We have to know what temperature they are. You know, can we joke with this person today? Are they having a bad day? Because yeah. we're all contained for a few hours or whatever in a confined space. And we got to deal with each other. Right. So it's the same thing as being in a theater or, you know, uh, where you have an audience and you, it's like, okay, we're all here. So right. we got you. Yeah. So let's feel this out. You have to or make people comedy, feel safe. Yeah. yeah. Or a comedy club or whatever. Right. So you do all of that stuff to keep yourself going. It's like, okay, here's another flight. Right. Who's this? Who's that? Who could I have? Who could I not have? You know, am I going to try to sleep with this one tonight or get this one's number or whoever or whatever? You know? Right. I love all of that. I love that Bernard just has, he's got it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is his thing. I mean, he's running this. He's running this thing. <laughs> now, what's so funny is the wonderful and amazing Kim Matula, who plays Ronnie, um, she really is, she really does run everything. Like, she is the nuts and bolts. Like, she keeps things going. She, he, she tackles all the problems. But I, Bernard, really is like, you know, he's done this. He's been there. It's like, you know, when Ronnie's running around doing her thing, I'm like, listen, let's just do this. Yeah. And we'll get it done. So he's that person. What's your fantasy episode for Bernard? Oh, if anything could happen. It's coming up. Oh, it's already it's coming up. It's coming well, up. Can you tell us a little bit? Um, I think I can tell you okay. that it's his birthday episode. Okay, that sounds fantastic. And because Bernard, uh, according to the lines last night that Ronnie says to him, has the um, the ageless eyes of a thousand Oprahs. Yes. The wisdom of it, you know. Yes. Um, well, I, do, I love that they make fun of sort of the wise black person yes. that's always in everything that, you know, like the Morgan Freeman-ness. Right. But they also don't know how old I am. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because they just are like, how old are you? Because all these references that sort of come out, like I made a reference last week to, um, you know, we were talking about wedding rings. And I said, yeah. Bernard says, uh, well, wedding rings don't mean anything. Rock Hudson had one and I had Rock Hudson. Right. And then Colin, Ed Weeks, says to me, how old are you? Right. Sincerely. I don't, I don't answer, of course, because right. that'll be the longest running joke. But the I think it's a great running joke. Yes. And I think you do have that quality. Well, thank you. You do. It's like, I, I, you could say 30, you could say anything. I'm yeah, like, you can just go, go on and on and on. Yeah. And the birthday episode is so yeah. fun. Right. So I'm looking forward to it. I could have never dreamed. Have you shot it yet? We have shot it. Oh, yay. I, I could not have dreamed that they would do something like this. And wow. it's so exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. What a gift. When you're creating a character like that, 
how do you decide how over the top to be? How do you gauge that and make it sort of full, full-blooded and, and, and meaningful for yourself, but also get the laughs and say the lines? It's like, how do you, how do you cook up that cocktail? It's hard. I think it's a wonderful hybrid. And what you have to do is trust the people who are watching you. So, the Steve Levitans of the world. Right. You know. Um, he's a modern family creator who's yes. behind the scenes on this as well. Y- yes, he's directed two episodes, the Fantastic. pilot and the first episode, and he's also one of our executive producers. Great. So, you have to trust him. You have to trust um, Lon Zimmett, who was our creator, and um, other wonderful, wonderful uh, producers on the show. Yeah. I won't go through the whole list, but... Uh, they're just really good at what they do. Right. And so I trust them and I trust the, the director of that episode um, to keep us in the style and feel of whatever LA to Vegas is. Right. We had this wonderful sort of what I like to call furiaki sake, um, you know, a laugh in sort of. Uh, 60s vibe, you know, right. sort of Pan Am, yes, you the know, fonts. jet set, yes, yeah. the you credits, know, I love all the of planes that. are yeah. kind of rickety, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but vintage and like, yeah. you know, and the whole premise of Jackpot Airlines, yeah. I mean, it's a crapshoot, right? <laughs> so, uh, I, I sort of am informed character wise by all of that stuff as well, right? And then I depend on people to say, hey, that's too much, right? Or so, what I try to do is because it's it, it, the standard is you can be too big, you can be too large, and then you can cut away. Right. It's harder to pump it up. Yeah. But in my case, I I can also pump it up. Right. So I'd rather someone say Nathan be bigger. So I try to I, I sort of lowball it when I'm doing it. Right. And then if they think it's okay and yeah. it doesn't blow up the camera, then I can pump it up. Do you feel a responsibility playing a gay character on television? Absolutely, I do. Like, like, what do you, what are the considerations that you think? That's a real fucking person. Excuse yeah. my French. No. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, listen. Before the year two thousand, I couldn't even get a gay role. Yeah. Because I wasn't gay enough. They right. said, "We don't know any gay people like you." I said, "Well, I only know gay people like me." <laughs> yeah. Where are you hanging out? You know, we're all not wailing flowers and madam. Right. You know, you know, you don't walk into a room like that. I love That's that what... reference, by the way. <laughs> you look at Bart. Bernard has, to put, Bernard has to put that in an episode when they're trying to figure out how old he is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's just like no one walks in with a boa. It's yeah. like that's a special occasion. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to make that the title of this podcast. It can happen. It can. And not saying it doesn't happen. It's, it's just, just not every day. It's not every day. Okay. <laughs> and it's like people are gay everywhere in every situation. Right. And I think there should be a gay person on every television show in America yeah. because that's real life. And as long as Bernard, you know, has quips and sneers, but is also a real person, right. um, I'm down with that. Yeah. And that's all I really want. I mean, you know, when you are part of culture that's deemed a subsect, right. you have to do things to make yourself stand out. And lots of gay people are funny. Yeah, they have. They're clever. They're right. they're uh, uh, they ha- they're ingenious. Yeah, you know, because they got to make shit work. Yeah. So uh, you come up with survival ways of being, and part of that survival in that survival sort of defense kit is being funny. Yeah. And deflecting or being a little bit more clever than you, so that you don't put me down. Right. You know. So that's what I want Bernard to be. I, I want people to be. I want everyone to be proud of Bernard, but particularly 
the LGBTQ and all the other motherfucking alphabet, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Have you followed much on social media about the show? Do you are you, are you very active there? And what I do is what I'm told to do. Yeah, because I am old. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> I'm spending most of my time learning my lines, right? Um, and just trying to get up in the morning. Yeah. Uh, so I do what I'm told. Like I tweet on, I live tweet on on show night, yeah. and I try to very honestly and sincerely thank people for liking the show because right. that's easy for me to do. Um, I'm not as proactive with you know Snapchat and tweeting and people and all of this sort of thing, but I do try to stay above board and yeah, and uh, and, and do what I what's needed for the show. I think on, with social media, when you're creating a show, with creating a character, whether you're behind the scenes or in front. It's probably amazing to have that instant feedback of what yeah. people are thinking, but also like it could psych you out and make you. Yeah, I, and if some one person thinks you're too gay, well, do you carry that around for a week? You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can't. I can't bother with that. Good. Yeah, I keep all of that noise out. Yeah. Uh, Leontine Price, the very famous uh, uh, dramatic soprano, said you must keep all the noise out. And then my dear friend, God rest her soul, Eartha Kitt, yes, um, said to me, Nathan, don't read any reviews. So I stopped reading them. I stopped reading them in 1999. Wow. My last review I read was... Uh, did you go out on a good one? Yes, I did. Good. I did. <laughs> You're like, okay, I did, I'm done. I did Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> at the Helen Hayes with right. Emily Skinner and my dear friend Billy Porter. And right. Emily Skinner's a good friend. And so many other wonderful people in that show. And I played Herod. Right. And the New York Times says, says that Herod, usually a silly sort of campy character... You know, be, uh, being reduced down to a simple uh, campy character is now uh, much more than that. Nathan Lee Graham is the definitive rendering of Herod. Right. The definitive rendering. Yeah, I'm out. I'm, I'm that's out. the last review. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I'll let it go. In the New York Times. Yes. I love it. They came up to the Helen Hayes in Nyack. Yeah. To see our show. That's and I, I have that clip. I have the actual clipping. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Eartha Kitt. Uh, I was on your website. By the way, you have the best actor website I've ever seen. Oh my God, that's it so is, nice Every of you. other actor should go, oh, that's how you do it. The way well, it's organized, you have video for almost everything that you were in. The fonts I approve of. It's just, Tony Howe, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a wonder. It's really, really good. Um, but uh, you were friends with Eartha Kitt. Yes, I was. And uh, talk about how you met her and, and what it was like to be well, her Well, the first time I met her, um, I was either still in college or, or just the end of high school, but I was on a trip to New York because instead of going to Florida, yeah. like all the youths do, right. I would go to New York and see 11 shows. So the rest of your class was going to party in uh -huh. spring break or whatever, mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm going to go to the theater. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love that. So that's what I did. Yeah. And my parents approved it, approved of it, and they were just, they're lovely. Um, so I saw her at the Cafe Carlisle, and I sat at the bar, and it was very expensive. And, and you're I was, a teenager. Oh, Yes. And um, they said, if you sit here at the end, because they saw that I was so enamored, um, she, she might see you because she comes out of this door, this one door. Yeah. And subsequently, you know, I saw her a million times after that, and she did come out of that door, and it was just wonderful. So she came out of the door, and she, she caressed my entire arm down to my hand. Oh, so from my shoulder. So sleepy. Yeah, and I almost died. I really did. And then she was amazing. And then cut to us doing the wild party on Broadway. Yeah. And me bringing in all my CDs and records and albums and stuff. And she's like, you're not a real fan. I'm like, yes, 
I know your songs in Yiddish. I know them in Turkish. I know them in Tagalog, the Filipino language. Yes. Yeah. You do? You yes. Do. Why did you know them in all the because languages? Because I memorized all of her songs uh, phonetically. Yeah. And she was like, "You what? You are a real thing. So then we became fast friends and we realized that we knew mutual people together and... Uh, me and my dear friend and colleague, Michael McElroy, would go up to her, her home. And then I became friends with her daughter, Kit Shapiro, who is an amazing ambassador of her mom's uh, work and life now. And uh, it was one of the best relationships I ever had to her dying day. As fans, we have an image of her and these different roles and stuff mm-hmm. like that. What would surprise people about her behind the scenes? Well, that she was um, very caring about what people... Uh, thought about her uh, as far as her image you know she really cared about her fans she cared about her work and she worked so hard on her own yeah right and that she was very very natural and holistic Um, she always had a garden wherever she lived I've been to at least two of her homes right and she uh, loved to garden all the time in her bare feet and she was very sort of um just very sort of mother earth right and mother earth yeah makes and sense. she really was like that along with being completely gl- glamorous and a yeah. sex kitten and all of that she was very down to earth she was very uh of the earth yeah. and very sort of holistic and, and beautiful in that way and yeah. very generous that's cool. That's so nice to hear. Yeah, so when it, your it's rare. Live up to your idol. She was an idol, an icon, a mentor, and a colleague, yeah. and a friend. I, could, I mean, I could pinch myself. Yeah. Even when I look at her today, I'm like, I can't believe that we were friends. When did we lose her? When did she pass away? Uh, Christmas, 2008. Wow. Wow. All right. It's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done some amazing films. You've, you were in Sweet Home of Alabama with Reese Witherspoon. Which they want to do a, a number two. They I, should I do a number two. Hey, Frederick, Frederick Montana is ready to come back. Yeah, you were. You worked with her. You like her I boss? Was, I, was her, I was her boss slash best friend. Yeah. I love that. What was yeah. she like to work with? Uh, easy breezy. Yeah. Like, so professional. I, I'll say this. I've had this wonderful opportunity to work with some amazing women. And what the through line from all of it is that they're very strong and no nonsense. But because of that, the sets were easy to work on. Like I worked with Candace Bergen in that. Yeah. I worked with Mary Kay Place. I worked with Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, in the comeback. comeback. Yeah. I worked with, uh, uh, I'm calling them Patsy and Adina, but... Um, yeah, at Fab. Uh, yeah. All of these women were running the ship, including Reese, and they were all wonderful because they all knew what they were doing. And so it made being uh, personal with them and and getting to connect with them so much easier. Yeah. Because there was no nonsense. There was no bullshit. I love that. I really love that. I, uh, I interviewed a lot of these actresses when they were first coming up. Reese, I interviewed several times and, and, um, a lot of the people that I interviewed were came out as Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. with stories. And it, was, it really struck me that I was interacting with them around the same time that all this shit was going on. Right. And I'm sure that you've worked with a lot of the women that, that are coming out now with these stories. And yes. What does that make you think of? Because I felt like they liked me. I, I guess it's a gay guy that seemed nice. It's such a relief 
You know? Because well, I didn't realize the monsters that they were dealing with behind well, the scenes. I'll tell you. To be a man and to be a, have that sort of male image and not being an asshole... Yeah. ...must have been, and is, a, a great thing. A it gives you fresh air. A breath of fresh air. It sort of restores your faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've worked with a lot of women who were um, abused, taken advantage of, uh, put in a place that they never should have been put in, and yet still had to work because they had the passion to do the work. They were good at their jobs. Right. And... They wanted to continue to work. Yeah. So it's like, if I have to put up with some of this bullshit, I guess I have to. Right. But I'm so glad that they now have an opportunity to speak their truths, because it is the truth. Right. And to call people out. Yeah. And put them in their place. It's, it's crazy. Um, you worked with Will Ferrell in Zoolander and Ben Stiller, but you were like Will Ferrell's right hand. Yes. Todd. There's a clip where he just throws milk at you. Yes. Did you have to do it over and over? 14 times. 14 times? The first time. And then a blow dryer? What happened? No. 14 times. It's so interesting what happened that night. There was a confluence of so many things. It was snowing in New York when we shot that. Right. That was B-roll, so we didn't even know that we were going to use that scene the way that we did it. Right. Um, Ben Stiller was complaining about my t-shirt. I was wearing a Two Exist t-shirt, and Two Exist was new at the time. Right. But it was the gayest t-shirt in the world. He even said that, this is the gayest t-shirt in the world, and, it, and the, uh, the stain is not showing up properly because it wasn't tight enough. Right. You know, so you, you throw this sort of coffee mixture, whatever it was, the uh, fro- uh, frothy uh, latte. Yeah. It, it just, the pattern, it wasn't showing up, it wasn't reading. So they had to keep pulling the shirt, pulling the shirt, and then they put a little clips in the clamp, back. And, but you could tell that there were clips. And so eventually we had to uh, strip, uh, cut them on both sides and sew me into the shirt. Oh my gosh. And all happened on shirts, the day. All, all, in, all in the day. Yeah. And, and, and we had to do a new shirt, and a new shirt, and a new shirt. And so they kept making the shirt smaller and smaller and smaller so it could read, right. you know, against my little, my little ample chest. I know. Right? And so, and all the reactions are real because it was cold. Yeah. I mean, it was supposed to be hot, but it was cold, but it's the same. It reads the same on on film. Right. And on the same day, when we started shooting that, because it was a long day, like 14, 16 hours, 12 to to 16, I forget, but it was long. Yeah. This is no joke. Uh, Al Gore had one Florida when we started. By the end, there was a, a discrepancy. Oh, God. In the same sort of period. And you, you will always remember it. Always remember that. that. Yeah. It was snowing. It was, uh, it was, it was Bush, Bush yeah. versus Gore. Right. All of that shit was happening on that, because it was in November yeah. that we were shooting. It was crazy. Yeah. You were, you were also in Hitch. Oh, yes. With, uh, and you have scenes with Will Smith and David oh, Mendez. Both lovely people. What, um, what's it like to work with big movie stars? Easy. Are they are, are they different? Uh, is there something you could say about them as a collective? Or I would say this. See, people always ask me, you know, who I want to date, and I'm like, just someone who would be kind. Actually, yeah. I would love to date another artist, but it's so difficult if you're on the same level and you're working a little bit more than he is. Right. But what I found is that if you're working with someone who is a superstar, it's right. much easier to work with because they're already a superstar. And you're you. So I would love right. to have a superstar as a husband. Yeah. Because 
it's so much easier to work with them because they have nothing to prove. Right. They've got. They've already got it. They've already got it. Because I think, and so it's yeah. super easy to work with people like that. Also, I'm always in a position, character-wise, where I'm not a threat to anyone, but actually uh, an asset. Yeah. So I'm always supporting, and yeah. I love being in that role because you know my motto. As Which I've said, is what? Um, I don't need to star in anything. I just need to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Do have you ever been taken aside and said you're too funny? You're you're. Stealing? Oh God, yeah. What are those conversations like? Well, for instance, in Sweet Home Alabama, yeah. they're very kind to my agent at the time in telling me why five of my scenes were on a cutting room floor. Uh, they said, this is Reese's film and not yours. And I completely understood that. Yeah. And it was true. Yeah. And I'm glad that they did that because it would have thrown off the balance right. of the film. And I don't know if it came from Reese because she was one of the producers of that fabulous, one of the fabulous... Most fabulous romantic comedies. Yeah. That's still making everyone some coins. Yeah, you still get... Ka-ching, ka-ching. What, which of your projects do you get the most residuals from? Sweet Home Alabama? It's pretty consistent. Yeah. I, Hitch, Zoolander, and Sweet Home yeah. come in for me. They come for me every three months. Oh, they so come nice, in. right? Yes. Oh, I love that. And they've been consistently good. Yeah. It's funny because even though the films are dated now... They still hold up so well. But, but they're the kind of films that if you see them on cable, you're going to sit and watch some of Classics. it. Classics. Yeah. You want to see all those movies. I'm so happy to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you feel about auditions? Do, you, do they make you nervous? I don't like them at all. Yeah. And, uh, do, you have a, do you have a mindset that you try to get into? Well, or a here's, philosophy here's about my them? mindset now. If I don't have to audition, I don't. Yeah. So if, I, if, if it's a role that I've already done to great acclaim, mind yeah. you, yeah. I'm like, listen, go watch I yeah. can do this. Give me the job and fire me if you don't like it afterwards. Right. But I'm not going to re-audition for something that I've already done. Right. Now, mind you, if it's a new casting agent or a new director and they just want to... I don't mind meeting with you. Right. But I don't want to keep re-auditioning for roles that I've already done. Right. Now, if you want me to come in and play uh, a Marvel villain... Yeah. Well, I'll come in and, and, and do that. Right. You know, but I do, I do want to be the first sort of gay Marvel villain... That would like, be amazing. With like a, an evil walking stick yeah. that I kill people with or, you know, yeah. some sort of evil umbrella or, you know, uh, uh, an evil clutch. I love, an evil clutch would be amazing. You know, that I can sort of boomerang and yes. then it comes back to me in I the crook it. of my arm. And I love like Batman struts in there and he's all sexy and whatever. Yeah. And you're, you don't know if you're going to kill him or what's yeah. going to happen. Are you going to... Seduce, you don't know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll die. Dangerous. We'll dine first. Yeah, we'll die first, and then the world's going to end. Exactly. But first, dine. You have a cla- an elegance, a sophistication. About, I appreciate that word. Uh, That's about, one of my favorite. But words. even as a teenager, wanting to go see Earth, the kid. At the, where did that come from? Was that part of your upbringing? I think so. I yeah. think my grandparents were very uh, influential in my life because yeah. they were always around. Right. With my parents and. Uh, even though my parents got divorced early, they both got remarried also right away. Right. And so I've always had two sets or four sets. And my grandparents were very influential in my life. And so they introduced me to jazz and uh, classical music and very early. Right. So, and then they set me in front of, you know, black and white films. Yeah. You know, so I grew up with watching Betty Davis, who happens to be my favorite actress. Right. You know, um, constantly. And then we would watch them together. 
even as a family, which is so weird. That's amazing. I, would, I, would, I remember watching uh, Camille with Greta Garbo. Right. And we would all cry at the same time. It's just so crazy. Um, but I would be there with my grandmother and my sister and, you know, and my mom and we'd just be like all crying at the same time, you know, and maybe my stepfather would poke his head in or, uh, my grandfather at the time and be like, Oh, there they go again. But you know, it's just like, if you share that kind of thing, it yeah. develops your taste in things. And also my cadence and right. how, how I would speak. So, you know, s- several people who are immigrants to the United States, they learn English by watching television shows. Right. Which I find fascinating. So it depends on what you watch, really. Yeah. But then I grew up with, you know, all of this sort of Edith Skinner, um, you know, old Hollywood right. way of speaking. Yeah. You know, and uh, I love all and this shit. And that's why you can deliver a bomb so well, you know. Well, there you have it. Where did you grow up? Um, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And then we moved here to Los Angeles. And I was back and forth between here and uh, L.A. LA and, and St. Louis for most of my Childhood, and then I went back to school in St. Louis to Webster University Conservatory, my alma mater, and uh, and then I've lived in New York for most of my life now. Where where were you in high school? Where did you go to high school? Uh, St. Louis. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so I was there during the school year, and then I would be in L.A. all summer. Yeah. So what um, were summers in L.A. like at that time? Really fun because it, yeah. it was the seven. Uh, well, the seventies. It. Well, yeah, all the 70s and then all the 80s. Yeah. So it was a very interesting confluence because you had the beginnings of, you know, gangs like the Crips and the Bloods, right. but also Michael Jackson and Madonna and, and all of this stuff sort of happening at the same time. You know, um, it's pretty fascinating. My first film that I did, I was sort of a glorified extra, was The Bad News Bears Go to Japan. That I did with Walter. Another classic? Yes. Walter Matthau, James Warden. Right. Tony Curtis. So, you know, like those are my early influences too. And then being, being from the Midwest, born in the Midwest, and then being out here and sort of having a carefree sort of... And my sister was born here yeah. in California. I had those two sort of mixtures. It sort of made New York a very easy transition for me. Because I had sort of the Hollywood element of myself... But I also had the show me state of myself. Right. Which goes very well with New York. Yeah. And then when I got there, it just was like a perfect fit. Did you know right away when you were in right New York? Right away. What's your first memory of being there as a New Yorker? Um, my first memory, besides Eartha at the Carlisle, was... Oh, I remember seeing... I remember seeing Tyne Daly um, in Gypsy at the St. James. And uh, someone had a heart attack behind me. Oh my and she God. stopped the show right before uh, the second act. So I believe she's doing Everything's Coming Up. No, uh, About Rose's turn? Yeah. No, she's not doing Rose's turn yet. Yeah. She's going... She's doing... Um, uh, 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 oh. Oh. Uh, uh, anything you could... No, no. Shoot. I can't... I can't remember. She's doing a big number. She's doing a big number at the end of uh, uh, Gypsy before they decide to move on with Gypsy and uh, with... Um, with um, Oh, God, brain. My brain is all L.A. to Vegas. But anyway, she stopped the show. She waited for the guy to be taken out. And then she just started right back up. And you were just watching Wherever we go. Yeah. Whatever we do. That's what it was. Okay, cool. So this guy got taken out. Do we know if he lived or died? I don't know. Have you ever seen Time Uh, Daily? I almost died. The experience was so... (laughs) 
amazing. Yeah. Have you ever seen Time Daily Sense and said, hey, I remember that show where the guy had the heart attack? I was there. Okay. This is a, <laughs> this is a true, true moment. I was just in New York a couple of weeks ago and I saw Meteor Shower, Steve Martin's new show. Oh, yeah. Uh, With Amy amazing. Schumer. Yeah. She was amazing. They were yeah. all so good in that show. Um, and it was in Schubert Alley. So it was at the booth, I think. Yeah. Time Daily walks right past me. There you go. She was Mama. going to see Hello, Dolly, which I saw the, no- the next night. Did you see it with Bette or Bernadette? Uh, Bernadette. Peters. Yes. 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 great? Yes. She's wonderful. I loved it. Um, You also got to be in Law & Order, which I think is a a rite of passage for any New York actor. Uh, You got to be interviewed about what you saw and what you... What was it like? Well, what was funny was, the first time I was on Law & Order, I played an interior... uh, Not an interior designer, uh, a curator for a museum, um, which was so fun. And on that episode, uh, who's the girl from American Horror Story? She's in the Post now. She's the blonde. She's in all the American Horror Stories. Um, Is it Carrie Croon? No, lesbian. Uh, oh, uh, yes. Um, dating Cherry Jones. Yes, yes. Who also I know. Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson, who yes. I adore. Yeah, she's great. She was the murderess oh. on my first uh, Law and Order. I she love fan fucking fantastic. The second time, I played the first gay. Uh, district attorney. That's exciting. Yeah, so I think I saw the one where Chris Maloney was asking you questions. Yes, that's that's the museum. I would say whatever you want. Yeah, whatever Chris you Malone, want, Maloney. Yes, whatever you need. <laughs> whatever you want. Yeah. But I think it, every every New York actor has to do it. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes you play the opposite. You know, it's, yeah. there's no continuity in terms of like. Well, I told him I said I can't go back on because I haven't changed. Like yeah. my look is pretty signature. Right. They're like, we don't care. Yeah. We, we cared about that for a couple seasons. We let that, that should have sailed <laughs> we don't a care. long time ago. What was it like to work on The Comeback? Because that's a show that Was people, before its time. Th- th- yes, it was. And people <clears throat> found it later. And it's now it's sort of beloved and like a classic. Yeah, it was hard because it was such a great piece. Yeah. People thought we were improving. We weren't. That's right. how good it was. Right. And we were like... But this is what really happens. Yeah. And they wanted Valerie Cherish, uh, um, Lisa Kudrow's character, to get better sooner. They wanted her to win faster. And you don't in this business. Yeah, you who win, wanted win, her to win? All the fans, all oh, the yeah. people watching, all the people who were in the industry. I right. said, what's your... But what's not your, the creators. Not like the network. No. Not at all. Yeah. Not Ma- Michael Patrick King, who so wisely allowed her to develop in real time. Yeah. And a lot of the industry people, a lot of the industry insiders were like, oh, it's so hard to watch. It's so hard to watch. Good. It's your life. Yeah. Good. You're projecting right now that you want her to win faster, but it doesn't go that way. And yeah. that's why this is so fucking brilliant. Yeah. I'm so glad to be a part of that. Uh, and that finale when they... The, was Brutal. So good. So good. Yeah. You, um, you've done some amazing shows on Broadway. Mm. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes. Describe for me the complicatedness of the costumes. Like, I have to put this thing on my head and it straps under here and then this hurts, but I can't walk. And like, what Listen, the most difficult there? thing about that was, yeah. um, I was playing Misunderstanding. That was my principal role. Right. But, um, because I was part of the featured ensemble, uh, and I hadn't been on Broadway for a minute. I hadn't been in New York for a minute. Yeah. A couple of things happened. I was, I wanted to move back to the city. This was 2000, 2009, 
Yeah, 2009. I had just done a wonderful play in New York in 2008, which is my return to the stage, called Wig Out by Terrell Alvin McCray. The guy that run, wrote yeah. Moonlight. I yes. saw that on your website, too. I saw, him, I, I saw the name, and I think, I think that's the Moonlight guy. Yes. And then I watched the clip, and I'm like, that's the Moonlight yeah, guy. Yeah, that was my return to the stage, and it was triumphant. Amazing. On all accounts, for everyone, is what I mean. Um, just wonderful. It was so, about the ball scene. About the ball scene, and it was just an amazing role for me. New York Times, the whole thing. It was wonderful. Um, sort of relayed my fears about, am I good enough to be on stage again? But it was also the period where I said to myself, i got to get back to New York. I've got to solidify some of my relationships here in, New- in L.A. and sort of either dissolve them or move on. And I want to work more. And in order for me to work more, it means I have to accept jobs outside of Los Angeles right. at the time. So I did. Good. And uh, what happened as a result of that was Law and Order SVU and Priscilla in a week of each other. And so I took the job, um, sight unseen. I said, oh, I get to play a Tina Turner role. Great. I'll take it. Right. Little did I know (laughs) I was going to have to put on a cupcake outfit. I was going to have to be a paintbrush. I was going to have to do, I was going to have to play a pregnant teen. Um, It was so fun. I have some of the best friends that I'll ever have for the rest of my life from that period and from that show. Um, It was a great lesson for me artistically because it seemed like I was taking a step backwards by being a part of the featured ensemble, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see it that way. I saw it as me going back to my roots and getting back on the boards and seeing what I'm made of. And that's why I never missed a performance. I did 645 performances in a row. Holy shit. Were you there the whole time it was on Broadway? The whole time. I never missed. What's it like when you find out a show's closing? Was hmm. it time for that one or is it just... Is it, it, was like before it, it was before it's time. Yeah. Uh, people were disappointed. People were still coming to see the show. So that was sort of bittersweet. But karmically, energy-wise for me... When something closes, I am actually ready to move on, even if I don't know it yet. Mm. So, uh, especially if I've done a good job. If I don't have any regrets. Right, if you feel like, I brought it. I brought it. You left it all on the board. Yeah, I mean, my Broadway debut was uh, The Wild Party. and I mean, listen, I got to make my debut in a wonderful role with a wonderful composer, Michael John LaCusa, a brilliant director, George C. Wolfe. Sets, lights, all by the top people. And then that cast. The cast. Along with my idol, Eartha Kitt. I mean, you just don't get experiences like that. So when that show closed, I also felt satiated and complete. I was like, well, it's too soon. But I put it all out there. Right. Every night. And so I have no regrets. And that's actually what I feel. Yeah. When a show closes. It's like, if you've done your job, then... I mean, it sucks because you want to, you want the money, you want, right. you want all of it. You have to figure out what, what now. What the hell to do. But at the end of the day. But you got to really do it. You got to really do it. Yeah. And be in front of people and those people got to share that experience, you know, for that one moment. What's the craziest thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? Um, I was doing summer stock at Minnesota Rep and, uh, the only time I did summer stock and, uh. I was playing the purser in Anything Goes. 
Um, I was still in school. Uh, was it high school? It was at high school or college. And I fell asleep before my entrance. And someone tapped me on my shoulder. And I ran in through the swinging doors of the uh, ship. Right. And I didn't know who, where I was <laughs> or who I was. And that's the honest to God truth. And I said, <laughs> I said something. Right. I don't remember what I said. And I left. Were you even supposed to be in that scene? I was supposed to be in that scene. Yeah. They literally woke me up and pushed me out. I was so tired because I was doing, I right. was in rep. Right. So you're doing, rehearsing this yeah. one and doing this And I was one. doing a very serious play yeah. called, uh, uh, oh God, it was by Stephen Tessage. It was called, I can't remember. Yeah. But, but it was a very serious play. And um, so that was my main role for the rep season. Yeah. And the purser was one of the offshoots. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Right. If that's a part of my contract. And, uh, yeah, fell asleep. There you go. Woke me up. Did you get in trouble? Did they say anything? They didn't say anything. They just thought it was really hilarious, whatever (laughs) I did. Because I did some sort of bit. Do that again. That was really good. I did some sort of bit. Right. But it was terrifying. Yes. Terrifying. And to this day, I'm very adamant about being close to my entrance, about being aware. And it was terrifying. I can imagine. That's the worst. That's your gig. You have to... Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of role would you love to play that you haven't got to play yet? I would love to play a villain. Yeah. Yeah. That's my dream role. A Marvel villain would be great. Yeah. A Shondaland villain would be great. A Shondaland good. villain would be great, but just a real villain who doesn't necessarily get killed right away. I would like a villain that goes on for a bit that yeah. has some sort of depth where you realize why he's so villainous. Yeah. But like a real evil yeah. person would be so fun. I'd love to see that. You've yeah. got that. You got the, you can yeah. do the, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, these brows aren't going to be insured for nothing. No, they are. They're so expressive. <laughs> do, does the director ever say, do the brows? Do they ever come out that explicitly? I'm going to tell you that there are lines about the brows coming up. <laughs> it's so good. Elegance. They're like a weapon because yes. you can use them so expressively. Like Wonder Woman. Yeah. Have you always known that? Was that something? Yes. You, yeah. That's cool. Now in school, when I was in college, one of my favorite professors um, actually taped down my brows and made me sing with a pencil in my mouth to calm down some of my expressions. He says, you do them naturally, so you're not even aware, but I need you to be aware of them so you can control them. Interesting. So he would tape down my brow. Yeah. So I could feel the tape move and put a pencil in my mouth so that I wouldn't sing with an unpretty mouth. Yeah. Did you feel like it was helpful? I hated I yeah. hated that. Yeah. I was like, you know, you're stunting my growth, but now I love him for it. Yeah, you're like, I get it. I totally get it. I love that. What's the worst audition you've ever had? Hmm. The worst. God, that's there's a battle for that position. Yeah. Um or the weirdest. Oh, the worst was uh me coming in and seeing the uh the operation game. Do you remember this yeah, game? Yeah, you, you, you try to take out the spleen or whatever with the tweezers. It was on the director's table when I walked in, and he started using it. He started playing Operation yeah. while you were auditioning? Mm-hmm. That is so weird. So that was the worst. And you're like trying, and he's like... Or looking at it and like picking up the piece. Yeah. That's so odd. So, Nathan, thanks for coming. Yeah. And the, uh, oh. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna. I'm taking out the appendix. So yeah. just go ahead and read your lines. Yeah, there, there was the operation <laughs> game right there. That's so random. That's really random. And it's true. Yeah. 
It was just sitting there. So I suppose it was there for when they were on their break or whatever. Yeah. But he sort of looked at it when I was, I was like, yeah. oh, hell no. Um, I talked to a lot of my gay actor friends about this, about how things have changed or have they changed for gay actors mm-hmm. or are there the types of roles changing? Are there scripts where you look at and go, no, I'm, I can't do that or whatever? Is it less of that? How has it evolved from your point of view? Well, when I first started out and, w- and really wanted to be a part of, you know, uh, just do, do, I said to myself, I'm seeking gay roles. I'm seeking these roles. I want to do these roles because I want them done with dimension and for them to be fully well-rounded. Right. Somebody's going to do it. Yeah. So I, I, I might as well do it and stop, you know, all the straight guys from doing it and getting awards. Right. Exactly. You know? Yes. And so none of my gay friends were into it. They were like, you're going to pigeonhole yourself. I'm like, I'm fine with doing gay roles. Straight people don't go around saying, oh my God, I'm so tired of playing straight roles. Right. No. They want to play roles that are well-written. And that's all I wanted. So I feel like the roles are more well-written now because you see more of us. Right. You know, in large platforms, uh, they need to continue on that trend. They need to be, be continually th- thrushed out. And they need to not be afraid to em- embrace all types. Because what was happening for a moment was then we only got some, uh, some gay people that never looked as if they right. were remotely gay right. at all. I'm like, that's... The I bros. Get, yeah, the bro gays. I, yeah, I'm like, I understand that. But what I'm saying to you is, just do all of it. Yeah, let's get the 64-color Crayolas going. Like regular people. (laughs) We're regular people. We come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Let's do that. I love it. All right. You pick some questions from the observation desk. All right. Well, who was your most impactful teacher? His name was Byron Grant. Um, He was my most impactful teacher. He was my mentor. He is the reason that I loved musical theater so much. And the reason I know so much about it, and I'm such a nerd about it. We're going to celebrate him this year, the 50th anniversary of Webster University Conservatory. Byron, Where did you study with him? Um, at, at Webster. Nice. Um, Byron Grant uh, was taken away from us too soon. I got a chance to go with some alumni to visit him recently in uh, Macon, Georgia, where he retired. And uh, he is just the light of my life. He was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Do you feel like he saw something special in you and helped? Absolutely. That's such a great feeling. And he couldn't express it because at the time, you know, we're talking the late eighties, early nineties at the time we, you, you know, it just was not the thing to be out and working, you know, right. Stay in as much as you can. Uh, I even saw once, um, from some potential agent at writers and artists, He's a little light in the loafers, but so good at acting. I wish he could be more like the character he just played. Now, mind you, I just... Ooh, oh, that's okay. Now, okay. mind you, I just uh, uh, played a drug addict and does a tiger wear a necktie or something like this. Right. It's like, I'm not that person. Right. Because... Be that, more like the drug addict. Yeah. So much better than the gay. But he was so good at helping me navigate that. And he lived long enough to see me and to see the dynamic and the social dynamic change. And so he was thrilled. So you would still reach back to him and say, hey, this is what I'm... Oh, So you stayed in touch with him. Absolutely. That's amazing. One of the last gifts I gave him was the uh, autobiography of Joel Gray. Oh, wow. And he said to me on the phone, ooh, she was something. (laughs) Because he was such a Southern gentleman, right? Right. And we were talking about... I said, Byron, did you like the book? Oh, yes, I did. Because he was around when Joel originally right. played the MC. And, of course. Oh, yes, I did. I, I enjoyed it very much. And, ooh, she was something. Yeah. 
That's some book. That's some book. What does your family think about what you do for a job? What I love about my family is they're very measured people. So I am too. So you never get too depressed and you never get too excited. Right. So even though I'm on television every night and they are so supportive and they all gather around and watch it, it's never like this raw, raw, sis, boom, ba thing. It's like, great job. Keep it up. We expect this. Um, this is what I love about my family. They're so supportive. My mom would love for me to do something else because she knows how difficult the business is. Right. Still, she will come to see a show by herself or with my stepfather first, and then she'll come with everyone else because she wants, she has to see it twice. She has to see what the audience thinks of me first. So she'll look around. She won't even watch my performance. The first time she's watching everybody else. And then she'll come back and watch me and enjoy it because she's just so nervous she wants everyone to so enjoy protective. it. So protective. Yeah. Wow. Does she tell you that? Like, she tells this is me. what I'm doing. She finally admitted it to me. Wow. She wants the audience to like her boy. Yeah. That's really touching. Yeah. So she's like, everyone likes it. And she really loves... <laughs> they were loved, clapping. Yeah, they were clapping. And she loves L.A. to Vegas, which is so funny to me because yeah. uh, I didn't know how she would respond yeah. to it. But she really, they really like the show so much. I think for an actor, a, an ongoing gig like that is the, the mother load, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just in terms of work and money and consistent. Right. And when you go into an audition, do you think, this could change my life? Or do you not think about that? Oh, not at all. You're just like, I'm just going to do my thing. Yeah, because I do really try to bring the same sort of work ethic to everything I do. Right. So, uh, large or small. You know, whether I'm at La Mirada... Yeah. Doing Man of La Mancha or, you know, at Fox doing L.A. to Vegas. I love it. Have you gotten recognized much from the show since it started? But you know what? I I have to admit to you, I get recognized every day for something. I love that. And I love that. They don't even know what my name is necessarily. Right. But they know that I've been in something that they really liked and made them happy. And it's so random. It could literally be anything from day to day. And it, it feels good, though. It feels great. I love it. Good. What's the most embarrassing CD or download you have in your collection? Okay, so this is the funny thing. Um, I went in for the original uh, company of Rent or to replace Tay Diggs several times, right? Right. Um, Bernie, I think, was uh, the role, or Benny, Benny. Benny sounds right. Yeah. Well, this is around when Tower Records existed. God bless Tower Records. God bless them. So I went to buy the cassette. It came in a double cassette. Rent came in a double cassette, y'all. Damn right it did. A little cardboard double cassette, you know, treatment. And I didn't know the music really. So I put on the cassette. And it starts off with this ding, 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 ding. So I thought I was broken. So I brought the cassette back. <laughs> and I bought the CD. And the same thing was happening with the CD. And it was ding, 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 ding. I said, this shit is keep skipping. I said, what the fuck? This shit is whack. I don't, what is happening? Am I cursed? So you could go to a listening booth at Tower Records in New York at the time and listen to your damaged whatever and get it replaced. Right. But you had to play it for them. I said, something's wrong with this CD. I put it on. I said, see, listen, listen, something's going on. Something's going on. And they were like, what are you talking about? I said, that sound, that sound. They said, sir, that's the guitar. That's the music. I said, that's the music. You can keep that shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from that point on, I was like, I don't want to do this role. But I went in for it over and over and over. And all I was ever told was, you sing too well. You sing too well. <sighs> so whatever. 
That's but crazy. Ding, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Brent. I mean, I love it, but you know. That was a great story. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. It had Tower <laughs> Records. It had all the elements. What's the most trouble you ever got in in school? <laughs> Mrs. Jones in sixth grade uh, replaced Mrs. Dent. Mrs. Yeah. Dent was a wonderful teacher. And I right. was a very precocious, uh, well-behaved child. But I, was, I grew up with adults, so I didn't really have a lot of kids. My sister was three years younger than me, and I was really just always with my parents or my grandparents. Right. And so I had a talking back thing. But not like a smart aleck thing, just sort of like matter of fact. And Mrs. Jones said something that wasn't true. And I called her a liar. I, mm. said, I said, that's not true. I said, that's a lie. And I think it was the order in which we lined up. And she, and she, um, she reprimanded me. And I said, no, I'm not going to apologize. And you, you're a liar. And so that was a big, big yeah, like, boom, but, record scratch. You know, so, and, and this was in the, you know, late seventies. So, right. uh, I called this teacher a liar and my parents had to come down. Do you know what my mom said? My mom said, well, did she lie? Yes. She said, well, I'll reprimand him for saying the word, but I won't reprimand him for telling the truth. That's cool. That's what she said in the principal's yes. office. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's, that's a good story. If you had to change careers tomorrow, what would you pursue? A therapist. Yeah. Listen, I like to talk to people. I can feel them out. You know, I think I have that ability, mm-hmm. sort of gauge. And uh, I like helping people. So I think I would be a therapist. I bet you'd be a great one. Be I, good. I, I would hope so. Yeah. Have you ever, had there ever been real dry spells where you're like, fuck? Yeah. And how did you manage them? Well, first of all, I always tell students, whoever you are, whatever you are, become more of it. And, be, and I would I constantly do that. So I knew who I was. Right. Because that's the only thing you have at the end of the day uh, is your talent. Um, my dry spells always happened because of me. That's what I figured out. Really? It's because I didn't want to work. I didn't want to pursue something. And a wonderful therapist named uh, Phyllis Chase who said to me, Nathan, the only reason you're not working right now is because you don't want to work. And I cursed her out. I was yeah. like, how dare you? How dare you? Of course I want to work. Of course I want to work. And of course I went home that night and had my little silkwood moment in my shower, you know, just huddled in the corner and letting the water splash over me. Mm. I was like, she's right. She's absolutely right. It's because I don't want to work. So I got to figure out why I don't want to work. And it was so many other things beyond work. It was the relationship I was in. It was uh, me not trusting myself. And as soon as I changed that in my head, I went back to working. And I've worked most of my life. So the dry spells have, have been self-imposed, yeah. to be honest. And I've been very fortunate, knock on wood, to always have something to pick up. Because I diversify my... You know, right, you my do stage, you do cabarets, you do... Yes, yeah, all of it. Film, TV. That's awesome. That's good. What's something you know now that you wish you'd know when you were starting out in the business? Hmm. Well, wow. What's something I know now that I wish I'd... Okay, two things. The most important thing is, it's not all about you when you don't get a role. Right. 
it's not all about you. It could be so many other things. It could things. be they didn't like the hair color, they didn't like the, the other person's too tall, and it, whatever. Yeah. It could be a million things. And it, and it normally is. Yeah. And the second thing is, always have something to do. Always have something to do immediately following an audition. Whether it's going to the grocery store, buying yourself a nice sweater, going to the movies, you immediately have to change the computer in your mind from what you just did. I love that advice. But it has to be immediate. But you have to schedule it. You have to schedule it, and it has to be something right after. What kinds of things do you do? Oh, I do all of those things. I go to a film. Yeah. I go shopping. I have dinner with someone, but it's always something immediate. Because you're going to think about what you did, but it's going to lessen the importance of it. Right. Anxiety. Right. It doesn't become this overwhelming thing. Every time. That's really great practical advice. Every time I always have it. I love it. When did you start doing that? Uh, I would say about 10 years ago. Right on. All right. Here's the last question you, you picked. Do you collect anything? Okay. So this is sort of a cheat. That's all right. We like cheats. Eartha told me right. um, that she always keeps everything that all of her fans give her and that she fills her homes with them. Wow. And I saw that firsthand. And I started to do that like 10 years ago. Nice. I have so many things that little knickknacks here and there, little tchotchkes, little uh, mementos from either, you know, people giving me opening night gifts. Yeah, or something, or stage door stuff. Stage door stuff. And it's the most delightful and wonderful way of celebrating my own career, but also having good energy from other people. Right. And so that's what I sort of collect. And connection. Yeah. I mean, I do think of like, I've, I've been exposed to super famous people who get a lot of stuff and they're like, do you want that? Like... And I understand why it would get super overwhelming, but I love that somebody like Eartha Kitt thought, thought that there was value in, in honoring and, it. Yeah, and she had amazing things because yeah. people were very specific with her. And they are with me, too. What kinds of, of things do you get? Oh, well, I get things based upon the roles that I do. But yeah. they're always either handmade or some sort of uh, artist rendering. Right. I've gotten really wonderful... Um, Renderings like uh, from from sketch artists that are just done in either in pencil or watercolor of the thought of what the role that I did meant to them. Right. So someone gave me a wonderful rendering of Little Bo Peep, and I played. Uh, this was when I did a, sh- a play called Hit the Wall, which right. is about the Stonewall riots. They did a production of it here that yes. did really well. And yeah. I played. Uh, I played uh, not Ray Ray. That was in Wig Out. Um, the Marsha P. Uh, Wallace Carson. Uh, Carson. Carson was his name. Yeah. Yes. I played that role. And it was based upon the Marsha. Right. Yeah. And that wonderful, delightful, inc- and incredible woman. Uh, and he, for some reason, was inspired by Little Bo Peep through what, the role that I did. And I have this in my living room in New York. It's such a wonderful painting. I love and it. Just little things like that, right? I have it makes lots you feel connected like to that. people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and just you know, uh, some engraved maracas from whether, from uh, a, a wonderful uh, wedding I went to, my best friend's wedding. Oh God, that's a movie in Sayulita. I married my best friends uh, Brian and Josh. I have this, these wonderful maracas from their wedding. Just things like that that I collect. That or just one piece from something wonderful that happened. And then I have so many things from fans that they've literally made from their own hands 
ornaments. I have so many ornaments that people have made me for the holidays and stuff like this. Amazing. So when yeah. you do your Christmas tree, it's all of this personal all stuff. All of this personal stuff based upon stuff that I've done or inspired them in some kind of way. I love that. Um, let me just look over my notes to see. I wrote down that uh, about L.A. to Vegas. They did the Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mulroney crossover thing that we've <laughs> all been waiting for as a culture. Oh, my God. And then these two? Yeah. They were funny together. I call them the big D's, honey. They're yeah. so good. Yeah. They're funny together. They have similar sort of trajectories. Yeah. They have similar looks. Right. They have similar sounding names. Yeah. No, they and, always get them. And confused. they're the most, you know, wonderful colleagues and, and friends. And I mean, they're just incredible. Yeah. Wonderful to work with. Who's your dream guest star? If somebody could go sit on that plane. I want Loretta Devine to come on and play either my mother or my aunt or... That would be amazing. Yeah, or something like that. Because yeah. she's so good. Yeah. And I just love her. And uh, she's such a, a wonderful entity on television, too. You yeah. know? Um, and then, of course, you know, anyone classic can yeah. come on. I would Even love- though it's a budget airline. <laughs> I love that yeah. there's no assigned seats. It's fucking Southwest. It's so Southwest. <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's amazing we don't all throw them like peanuts. Yeah. And have you ever been on those flights where the Southwest person thinks they're at the comedy store and they... Oh, they, yeah. 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 And I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch a bit. Because, <laughs> I, first of all, I'm here. Yeah, you got nowhere else to I go. I got nowhere else to go. You know what? You're, 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 you're still managing the, the uh, enthusiasm yeah. to try to do a joke. I can, I yeah. can listen. I, I, I don't need to roll my eyes. I don't need to roll my eyes. I'm here for you. How's your steak? <laughs> you know, I'll be here all week. You know? One thing we didn't talk about I wanted to ask you about was, how, what was your coming out like? Was that... Uh, were you... Younger, uh, it, uh, how was it, it? It's funny because it was so uneventful. Yeah, I love those ones. My um, my mother said when I was born that I sort of came out in this sort of arabesque <laughs> kind of thing. And there was a lot of lightning. I was born at 101. You're very, very aware of your angles yes. already. I think I was born at 101 a.m. Yeah. In the morning, on a Monday morning. It's either 101 or 115. I better get that right for the numbers, people. Yeah. But, um, no, I... My coming out story is one that's sort of like my life public. Yeah. So it was like, why is he doing all of these roles? And what's, uh, you know, to the larger public. Right. Uh, at home, I've, I've never had to do anything. Um, it was never a discussion. Right. It was always understood. I was always embraced to be different. And that's, that's what my mother called it, different. She right. says, you're different and it's not going to be easy for you. Right. She always said that. And she says, when... And she, she but you say, never felt like she wished you weren't different. No. She was, well, she always wished that I was safe, and she right. always wished that I didn't have a hard life. So for yeah. me to be, as she called, quote-unquote, different, right. and to be in the business, she's like, God, my son's got a double whammy, you know? Right. So that's what she was more upset about. Not... She wanted my life to be easier, not for me to change as a person. Yeah. So I've been very fortunate to... Luck up with a great family. Yes. And then um, that was just accepting. And the rest is like, you know, well, here we are. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Wait, what was it like for you in school? Were Hard. You popular? Or? I was popular. Yeah. But sometimes for all the wrong reasons. Right. You know, I, I carried a Were you doing shows and stuff? I was doing shows and I was doing shows and giving shows. Right. Um, <laughs> you, you were about to say I carried a... I carried a briefcase, an American tourister. So it was like a best. fucking... But I you was a t- fucking target. It was like, 
you know, I was a kid that carried an American boot, but then, you know, I was preppy. So yeah. I had the sweater over I'm my sure shoulders. I'm sure everything was perfect. Yeah, Argyle socks up to my knees right. and the little shorts and, I mean, a top siders and a briefcase. Yeah. Because it was more simple. I, I didn't understand a backpack. Yeah. I was like, a, first of all, I don't want that thing on my back. It breaks right. the line. Right. And also, <laughs> you know. Um, you were in business. I, I, you were like, it was like a grown-up thing, yeah. right? You weren't messing American around. American tourist, Yeah. Click, click that sound. Yes. Bump, bump. Bump, bump. It was, a, it was in a, that wonderful sort of pale shit brown. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think they <laughs> called it on the label. Love that. Um, how can people find out more about what you do? Are you active on social media? We talked about that a bit. I try to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to be on Instagram, right. Twitter. Uh, they Is will it always, just your full name? Yes, my full name. So NathanLeeGraham.com, NathanLeeGraham yeah, yeah, yeah. on Twitter, NathanLeeGraham on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, my full name. Awesome. Uh, last question. How would you describe this time in your life? Uh, wow, that's a great question. Um, that's my secret weapon as a question because when I used to do a lot of magazine profiles, a lot of these people had been interviewed two weeks before for something else or mm-hmm. whatever, or last year when the other big movie came out. And it was a benign enough question that they didn't feel like I was getting personal, like right. I'm picking in their business. Mm-hmm. But they would sometimes say, well, I'm in love. Or they would give you little, they would sometimes hint at that stuff that, that makes for a good profile, especially for somebody that's been in the public eye for so long. Right. So that was always like, I always, I, I always employed that as like, I always got good stuff that I could use out of that. So there's a little behind the scenes stuff there. So... I would say that my life is flowering. Flowering? Yeah. I love it. Is there a part, I always say it's the last question, it's not. I mean, um, you've been doing this for a while. And yes. you're having this amazing moment. And that's inspiring to people that are still in it, you know? I hope so. Because it feels the same to me. It feels in order. It yeah. feels like the right thing. And... You can only flower, and I hope it, hopefully it's perennial, yeah. um, if you are always sowing and watering and tending and kneading. Yeah. So. It's uh, not just happening randomly. No, it's not random, which is why I can accept it in the spirit in which it's coming. I love it. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's, it's been a pleasure to meet you. And uh, you guys, everybody watch LA to Vegas. It's so, it feels like a goofy Southwest flight. <laughs> yes, it's week. so good. <laughs> you know, I yes, love it. it does. All right. Bye. 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 Thanks again to Nathan Lee Graham. Check him out on LA to Vegas. It's a lot of fun. All right, so this happened. We had the Mismatch Game shows here in Los Angeles this past weekend. Uh, we raised over $4,200 for the LA LGBT Center and their Homeless Youth Program, which was fun. But uh, we also had a ton of fun and a lot of laughs. And uh, both nights were different and uh, great audiences and uh, really inspired uh, answers from the panelists. I want to share one moment that I thought was really inspired. Uh, Tom Lank, uh, the actor you may know from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he's also been on the podcast. He uh, plays Zoe Deschanel in the Mismatch Game, and his sort of gimmick is that every time I come around to him on the panel, he's doing another craft or something cute and twee and adorable and very Zoe, right? Googly eyes or hot glue guns or whatever. Well, um, Every once in a while, he'll bring out this little trumpet. Every show, he does it like once. He brings out this cute little baby trumpet, and then he just plays a a song on it. He usually plays La Bamba on the trumpet, just as a random answer. And 
uh, Zoe always talks about how cute the trumpet is. It's so cute. Uh, so this time there was a question involving Philadelphia. It was about the Super Bowl, and it was how both of the gay men's choruses of this, the rival cities, Philadelphia and Boston, had a bet going, and then whoever won the Super Bowl, the other chorus had to sing a song tied to that city. Like, for example, if New England won, then the Philadelphia chorus would have to sing, Please Come to Boston. And the, the joke of the question was, and if Philadelphia wins, the, the uh, Boston gay chorus will have to perform blank, right? So it could be dirty, it could be whatever. Well, the contestant gave the answer, Gonna Fly Now, the theme from Rocky, as their answer, which is not even dirty, but it's a very inspired answer because Philadelphia is synonymous with Rocky, and we all remember him going up the steps, and it's, it's, that's Philadelphia right there. Great answer. So I go around to the panel, and Zoe's in the sixth chair, and by the time I get to Zoe, she pulls out her baby trumpet and plays the Rocky theme. And it was so inspired, and everyone's falling out. And, of course, it's a match, which is always nice. And it was just a great moment. But I found out later from Tom that he'd never played that before. And that in the time the contestant gave the answer and the time I got to Tom, he had gone online on his phone, Googled the sheet music, and then his phone was dying. So he had to write notes on a card that he could understand and he did all of that in the time that I was able to get to him so that he could do the trumpet of Gonna Fly Now. So it was a pretty genius moment and one of those things that uh, I'll always remember from the mismatch game. So that was a ton of fun. Oh, and one more thing about the mismatch game. Uh, if you happen to be a Patreon listener of the Dennis Anyone podcast, I put some excerpts from Friday's show on this special episode uh, that just went up. So there's a great reason to jump in. You can get in. For as little as a buck a month. And then there's some higher tiers with some different rewards. Uh, and you can find that at patreon.com and just search for Dennis Anyone. Um, the other thing that happened that's fun is I got Movie Pass. Do you guys know about that? Um, I just signed up for it. I just got my Movie Pass and I used it for the first time last night. Uh, I went to the Arrow, which is kind of a revival house here in LA. It's in Santa Monica. And uh, the Egyptian in Hollywood is like the sister theater and the American Cinematheque does great stuff there. Anyway, it's good at those theaters in addition to a lot of the major chains. And I saw The Square, this foreign film Oscar nominee from Sweden that's so good. And I heard the director speak afterwards and he's, I could have listened to him for days. He was so smart and funny and articulate and really talked about his vision for the film. It was great. I loved, I loved the movie. I loved hearing him talk. But I was able to use the movie pass for the first time. So it's 10 bucks a month. And you can just use it to get one ticket a day at all of these participating theaters. So the ticket last night would have been $12. So I already came out ahead, $2. And I've just used it once so far this month. So I'm not sure how movie pass is able to make this work. Because I, from what I've read, they pay the, the cinemas the full price. So somehow I guess they think our data... Or having this sort of collective of, of movie lovers uh, connected like this is, is going to be something that they can sell or whatever. But I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to enjoy it. So that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. <laughs>